question? Yep. Here we go, I think. Tax the rich, feed the poor, tell there are no rich no more. Alvin Lee, 10 years after ushering us into another two hours together here at the Radio Ranch. Good morning. It's the Friday morning edition. Usually we got Brent Winters with us. I don't know if Brent's joined us or not yet. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to at times. He uh, can get in the middle of someplace traveling where he's got no Wi-Fi and stuff, so or not adequate anyway. So we'll see if that comes about, and hopefully he'll be able to join us. Uh, Roger Sales, of course, your host here. If Brent doesn't join us, and me and whoever else is on the Jitsi board that wants to contribute to the conversation of the day, the COD. And uh, it's the 8th of July, the month of July. And we're on the Eurofolk Radio Network streaming live. We're on the Jitsi board with a whole bunch of folks, it looks like, here on the Friday morning show. Glad to have you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and what else do I need to say? I think that's probably about it. Uh, we're here for your freedom. And uh, uh, the only way I can protect my freedom is to help you protect yours. And I'm all into my freedom, so I'm all into helping you protect yours, learn about it, figure out what's going on, get the courage to move forward and become free. Um so welcome everybody and uh, i guess i was saying we we're talking somebody had a story and let me just say this and we can get into the uh, whoever said they had a good story here um i had an email this morning from a guy in south carolina and uh you know not super typical but certainly it happens um my wife's scared to death of this <laughs> she's not on board man she thinks i might can't get a job the kids can't go to school what can i do and so I sent him the rest of the information. I don't know if he'd been to the to the website, and I instructed him to have her listen to the Deanna Spingola and Tom Dix. And, of course, there's a couple on there with Brent and said, you know, I've been doing shows with this attorney for seven years every Friday, so I don't think he'd be hanging with us if we didn't know what we're talking about here. And uh, that's an interesting problem to have with one spouse in and one spouse out. It can be done. Uh, it's some. There may be some that would say it's good to have one spouse in the system. Uh, I don't know of anything that you can't participate in, really, if you're outside of it. But, you know, you have those, uh, I call it, un, well, I call it what the Bible calls it, unequally yoked. And some people just uh, are so conditioned by this, as you guys know. It's not for everybody, okay? Some people are so conditioned to the fear factor here that they're going to sit in the corner and never, ever realize that they're the ones that gave these creeps their power. Who's got their mute open? Somebody's got a mute open. There's a little noise they're rubbing on your shirt or something, if you could hear that i'd appreciate it hello 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 Hello. okay well do you have something to say or what okay yes it it might be yeah who's me come on dan Dan, identify yourself (laughs) just stick your mute on i think it was rubbing against your shirt or something these damn microphones on cell phones are as you know incredibly (laughs) incredibly incredibly uh sensitive so yes hello we got you. Right. Yes. Who's this? Oh, okay. I, I, this, is, this is Ozark Dan. Ozark Dan. And today's the sec. Today's the sec. That, that was the, that was the handle you were giving me. Okay. <laughs> o, Ozark, Ozark Danimal. 
Okay. Ozark animal. All right. Well, that's good. Anyway, yes, I, I listened to you yesterday, and I, I didn't know how to talk to you guys, and now it's by accident. So I will. What do I got to do to mute? Uh, down at the bottom, you on mute, your cell phone? Sta- are you on your cell phone? Sounds like it. Yes. Sir. Uh, down at the bottom of the screen, yes, if sir. you fool around with it, there's a couple of little buttons, and one of them is a little microphone. I think it is on the big computer. Okay. I- if if he's dialed into the phone number. Uh, all he's got to do is yes. press star six. Oh, star six. Sorry, Dan. Okay. Thanks, guys. Sorry to waste the time. That's okay. Well, while we got you alive and a oh. livid person, is there anything we can do for you? <laughs> well, um, I, one of the questions that I'm sure you get around to is, um, I was thinking about if you go out and apply for a job, you know, you normally have to fill out like a W-2 form so they can withhold Social Security and all that stuff. First thing you do is got to fill out an I-9. An I-9, okay. Okay, and that's where they... We're going to learn together here, okay? Uh, any so yep. For a number of years, anybody, this is Homeland Security crap, anybody that applies for a job has got to fill out a form called an I-9 immigration. I think that's what it stands for. And used to, they had the option on there of national. But they're hiding it. And uh, the, I believe what we've come to the conclusion of is the option under I-9 now is alien permitted to work. Um, a lot of them are switching over to computer forms, and if so, you're going to have to get do that, get it printed out, and probably attach an affidavit with it for their records. Um, now, you get into your W-2s and W-4s and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, on the W-4, what you want to write is non uh, what, federal, uh, federal, federally tax-exempt, exempt from federal taxation, however you want to phrase it. And it might not be a bad idea to give them a copy of your affidavit for your files. This is the reason. There's no company on the face of the earth that's going to fight your IRS battle for you. They're damn, they're more scared of them than you right. are. Okay, and so you got to give them something where they can defend their position to the IRS. Go well. He, this guy gave me this, and they can send that to them, and that's going to satisfy it. Okay. Uh, but as to employers that don't understand or whatever else, I, you know, I can tell you this. If you go in and don't get a job because of your status change, you probably got a real nice discrimination lawsuit should you choose to prefer, uh, pursue it because they can't discriminate against another citizen. And you are a citizen. You're just a citizen of the United States of America and not a citizen of the federal United States. That's the difference. But you're still a citizen. Okay. Right. So uh, that is how I would. Uh, don't worry. If you go apply for a job, they'll give you one. You'll have to file it. You'll have to uh, do it. Okay. It's required. Well, the main reason I want to do this, I think, I think I told you in an email that I had pretty much been persona non grata since skipping out of Chicago back in 98 after I sold everything I owned. And I've been living on the road ever since. And I'm out, I'm off the grid and out in the woods here in the Ozarks for the last 12 years. And I just turned 68, and I don't really have a, a, any kind of steady income, but the Lord kind of keeps me going. Do you qualify for so, want, Do you qualify for Social Security? Absolutely. Well, you can file this and go ahead and file for it. Okay. Well, so, I'm gonna. Social Security. I've got a friend of mine. Social I, Security. Let me just interrupt you. Social Security is not a nexus to the system. When I signed up for mine 12 years ago, I gave them an affidavit, and I've been getting it for 12 years. Any citizen of any country okay. in the country can join, or in the world, can join Social Security. 
There's no jurisdictional legal nexus there. Right. Okay. So just if you don't worry about cash flow, go ahead, get this done if you choose to, and apply for your Social Security. They'll give you, because you've already waited past your due date, I think they'll give you six months in arrears when you uh, apply. Wouldn't that be something? Well, that's what they do. All right, so... so so, so how do I mute? How do I let's see? What, tell me one star, more time. How I get star on and six. How I get off. Okay, star six. I think is the muting device. Now it works on some phones. Some phones okay. it doesn't appear to. And the reason we try and encourage people to call in digitally, which it appeared that you had done by your icon here, uh, it's just because it's easier and the fidelity's better. Uh, so, and you don't have those. Uh, some people can't talk on dial-in phones and for whatever reason, all that stuff. So, the easiest way is digitally, but you may not be able to do that. So that's fine. We're glad you're with us dan nice to meet you well you sound like you're standing right here next to me roger yeah so, no the fidelity's good uh, you got you got I've a good signal i used to listen to you and alfred on uh discount oh, gold and trading radio program did you and i listened to alfred on well i knew i knew i know melody personally i used to be a neighbor of theirs up in when they were in the warsaw missouri area uh-huh the cedarstroms and uh Yes, I was I was really good friends with Jim, and uh, he was a heck of a guy. Yeah. So um, got a brother named Eric. that anyway, doesn't quite fill up to his shoes, from what I hear. But go ahead. Yeah, I've talked to him a long time ago. But so anyway, I used to listen to Alfred on there. You know, and he told a story about how he was involved in the colloidal silver business, and. The people that actually owned the business, I think they ended up going to prison, but Alfred... No, they was, didn't. Uh, no, no, they didn't. He, they he, put a, a, he, he, I, this is the man, man, another animal story. So I'm just going to circumvent you because you got a fact wrong already. He got him out of okay, it. Okay, it's they, they didn't go yeah. to jail. Here's what happened. For those folks who don't know, Al Dask... Uh, still alive, by the way, and a good guy. I did shows with him for about a year and a half, a real icon out in the central part, especially around Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, quite renowned for his legal prowess. And he used to have a, a tabloid a publication called The Anti-Shyster, and you can probably still find some copies of it around. Boy, did the, you talk about the establishment hated that thing, okay? And it was real good, especially for a guy that came into the arena from the, as a roofer. Okay, I mean, he's a roofer, all right. And he 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 got into this because of a child custody situation, as many people do. Uh, anyway, this uh, couple in Texas manufactured colloidal silver. This back in the nineties, the feds came after him, but they didn't come after him federally. They came after him through the state of Texas, and they used the state of Texas judicial. Uh, the assistant attorney general of the state of Texas prosecuted this case personally for five years. Okay. They spent over half a million dollars in five years going after these two people, and uh, they, they had a trust document. Their company was in a trust, and so they named Al as the trustee. Uh, towards the you know they'd been in it a long time a lot of frustration i don't know what their situation was previous to that but they appointed al as the trustee and that enjoined him in the case and so al went back started doing some research he went back to the original legislation around turn of the century last century and found in the original legislation for the food and drug department uh, agency or department at that point wasn't an agency yet um, that the legislation said man and other animals. 
And so he went in, had his first meeting with the assistant attorney general of the state of Texas, put that in front of him and said, I'm not an animal. I'm made in God's image. They folded their tent and walked away after five years and $500,000 they spent. So, no, they didn't go to jail. Yep. Man and other Danimal. Yeah, right, right. So I'd like to, I got a, 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 it's our boy Wayne here. Our friend Wayne has put me in touch with a guy that Al lives with. And uh, I've been meaning to call him and I just hadn't gotten around to it. I hope to do that one of these days. He's a real nice guy named Ralph by his emails anyway. So hopefully I'll get that done. I'd like, I'd love to have Al come back into the scene here. You know, he, I don't know the reasons and everything that he walked out. I don't know if y'all knew about the his incident in Oregon. Did you know about that, Dan? There's something about the house the yeah. cabin caught on fire. Yeah, the ha- the cabin burned down. He's going to live out there in Oregon, Eastern I, Oregon. I heard. I heard you talk about it. Yeah, good guy. Did Brent show up yet? Yeah, I'm here, Roger. Oh, hey, Brent. Well, we didn't know. We were polling you there right before the show went on. Oh, I didn't no. know if you thought you were out in the middle of well, no get, Wi-Fi I'm, land. I'm going to get off here. Okay, okay, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Now you know how. Don't be a stranger. Uh, hey, Brent. Welcome, man. Yeah, tell me, Roger. Boy, some, some uh, phenomenal things have been happening here the last uh, few weeks. Yep. I heard that uh, Boris Johnson... Resigned. resigned yep and uh, and uh, and the whole and the whole cabinet yeah yeah the whole cabinet and then i heard that uh the guide stones got blown up down in your neck of the former and, neck of the woods and then dim- and then demolished and then yeah, whoever did that yeah and then of course uh we've all read the three four court opinions where they didn't just come out and said they weren't even respectful i mean if i'd have said the things that those Supreme Court justices justices said to the their former colleagues on the court that wrote and uh, gave their opinions, such as Roe v. Wade. Uh, if I'd have said those kind of things, it'd disbar me from whatever court I was in. I've seen guys get bar- disbarred for saying those kind of things. In other words, saying you're just plain wrong. Are, are you? You're That's talking about retired. Let, hold, let me let me stop. You're talking about retired justices that have written in on the recent opinions because I haven't seen anything on that. Oh no, I'm talking about these justices that Thomas and Alito, et cetera, Kavanaugh that wrote this opinion overturning Roe, for instance, and uh, castigating the former members of the Supreme court for not only being, not only being wrong, but being wholly, not partially wholly unconstitutional. Right. Their method was wholly wrong. There was nothing right about the opinion. They didn't even try. They tried to make it out of whole cloth. You may as well just said they're black hearted, low down, mangy, egg sucking scoundrels. They may as well said that. I mean, even in Congress, you can't get away with saying the kind of things they said. You know, you got to say the honorable gentleman, which is shorthand for he's a polecat. <laughs> he's an uh, egg-sucking dog. Yeah, egg-sucking. <laughs> you know, once a dog gets to egg-sucking, you ain't going to stop him either, by the way. We've had dogs used to do that. You can't stop them. Once they get, once they get a taste of blood for chickens or calves or hogs, you can't stop that either, hardly. The only thing that's left is a 12-gauge shotgun for them. It gets real ugly real quick. Now the whole country is make, having gasps of um, gasps of life 
There's and that two possibilities. You know, before a thing dies, it'll jump up and have a re- revival. I've seen that happen over and over again. I've even seen men and women do that. They'll have a, a comeback for a few minutes, and then they're gone. I've watched it. Animals, same way. But then, is that what is that is what is happening here with these proclamations from the Supreme Court challenging the stupidity of the President of the United States, the ineptness, the lack of manhood? Is that what this is? Or is this a resurgence of something that has lasting effect? I guess that will remain to be seen. I, Time I will tell. We need to be sober. We can be happy, but we need to be sober because the evil one will will say the right things and do the right things for the wrong reason and reasons and lure you in and then destroy you. You can never, ever let down your guard in this evil world. I talking to a friend yesterday, been married over 40 years. His wife had children, raised a family. His wife came to him and said, I want a divorce. He said, why? Well, she didn't have a good reason. I had the very same thing with a guy, new guy I met down here this week, 27 years, and wife all of a sudden wants a divorce. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you think everything's right. Well, when everything's right, look around, something's wrong. And he was talking to me about it. I've known him for 45, 50 years and uh, had a long discussion. We both agreed he's a sober-minded fella. It took him down for a while because it wasn't, he wasn't going to stop it. It was a juggernaut and it kept going and now he's alone. And, uh, but, but that coming back to the way the devil works, uh, he, he seeps in and he uses those closest to you to try to destroy you. Then he'll use those far away from you. You don't know to know the wiles of the devil is to fight the fight. And it is a fight and it never stops. And what we're supposed to do is pace ourselves, not get in a hurry. It's, it's a fight like going into court. It's, it's not where you go in and, and just start swinging. No, you wait and you wait and you keep working at it and working at it. Then when you find the weak point, whenever that pops up, you better have your eyes open and you better bring all force to that weak point right then. And that's how you're going to, in the problem, I had a friend who used to go to court. He's gone now. His, I think I've told you about him, Roger. His great-grandfather was Secretary of War during the administration of Abraham Lincoln. Yikes. And his great-grandfather, even by his own testimony, was a an evil man. That was Louis Stanton. Uh-huh. Louis Stanton, Secretary of War, a Democrat. Lincoln chose a Democrat for the Secretary of the War. Secretary of War, he had absolutely no respect for Abraham Lincoln. You say, well, that stands to reason. Well, whatever the reason, that doesn't work real well. And Lincoln first met him in the McCormick Reaper case. Of course, McCormick was from Chicago. He's the one that invented the little hook. He whittled it out a piece of wood with a pocket knife that allowed the reaper to tie a knot around the sheaves of the grain, uh, the stalks, as they came through the reaper. And uh, there was a patent problem. The case ended up in Cincinnati. Lincoln traveled to Cincinnati and was a co-counsel of kind with this Lewis Stanton. He'd never met him. Met him. And uh, that's when Lewis Stanton said that this man, Abe Lincoln, is the original eight. <laughs> I've never seen a guy with a man with hands that big 
and arms that long compared to a body that tall. Mm-hmm. He looked like an ape, he said. And he thought he was a doofus on top of it. A Stanton, though, was an arrogant ass. No question. An overblown, arrogant ass and a Democrat on top of that. You say, <laughs> well, Democrats back then were the, weren't the same. No, they were the same or worse. And they always have been. Nothing's changed. It's just a matter of what they can get away with. Well, what about Jackson, people say? Well, there was some difference before the war. That's true. But in the in the long run, they've never been any different than they are now. They just have opportunity now to let out what they're really what they really are politically and get away with it more and more and more. I, 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 it irks me when people extol John Kennedy. John Kennedy was as much a communist as Joe Biden, uh, Lindy, Uncle Lindy Johnson, um, FDR, even worse. And he was wrapped up, because his father was, wrapped up tight with Hollywood. They were nothing but showbiz kind of scum kind of people that always trying to bed everybody's wives, his dad. I was listening one time to Richard Nixon. Of course, Nixon went to Congress with a JFK. JFK and, and uh, Nixon went to Congress the same year, in the late 40s, whatever election year that was. And <laughs> oh, they were pretty much friends. They didn't have anything in common, so they didn't. They didn't buddy together, but they got along. And the reason, one of the reasons they got along, because early when Nixon was in Congress, he became famous at that time because he was able to uncover uncover uh, the, some of the communists that were in the administration of the government. And he did it. This is a fascinating story. The reason he was able to do it, you can go read the details in his autobiography, but it, it came down to him noticing something he had learned as a boy. And that was what they call the, this is not the, the, he was a Quaker, you know, and they call it the special speech or the holy speech or something. I don't know what it is, but Quakers, when they're talking to certain people, traditionally, I don't know how they are now, but they used the old King James these and thou's, and they used it as in terms of affection and also as, a tip-off to who they are. Well, because somebody used that speech, that gave him a, a clue to a piece of information that led him to find some communists. Well, what people don't know is, probably as much, that JFK came across politically when he was a young congressman as as much as an anti-communist as anybody. In fact, what was that fellow's name that was so famous? That was McCarthy. Wasn't it McCarthy? Oh, yeah. Kevin. Yeah, yeah McCarthy. McCarthy. And the St. Joe. That's yeah. right. He, he, is, uh, he was from Wisconsin, I believe, Brent. McCarthy. Yep. Brent, we lose Brent. And Brent faded out there all of a sudden. Okay. Yeah, there you are. Okay, you're back. I was getting to the point. McCarthy and the Kennedys, they were all hardcore Romanist. And McCarthy was, and you can check this out, of course. I'll just, I shoot from the hip a lot, but he was godfather to some of the Kennedy family. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty close association. So when he went, of course, that was all a big promote, a lot of it was big promotion. Were there communists in government? Yes. McCarthy was a loose cannon, didn't know what he was doing, but um, God uses people in mysterious ways. But 
he was tied up with the Kennedy clan real personal and real tight. Brent, wasn't Robert, wasn't Bobby Kennedy uh, on the legal staff of that committee? I, I think so. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Yeah, I think it was one of his junior assignments. Well, yeah, very junior. When he was Attorney General of the United States, he wasn't nothing but a punk kid. He was just a kid. Horse. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's better than the raven Satanist Jew we got up there now. <laughs> oh, six one, half a dozen minutes. But um, six and one, half a dozen. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Get my arithmetic straight. Well, this uh, McCarthy, though, and Kennedy. See, Massachusetts was, for whatever reason, politically, they supported McCarthy. And Kennedy had no choice but to be a rabid anti-Catholic at that time. And this is something that people anti-com- ignore. Anti-communist, not anti-Catholic. Or anti-Catholic, <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, he was anti-Catholic, not anti-Catholic. He didn't get along with anybody. He wanted to be He wanted to be Pope. I'm talking about JFK. I mean, he even uh, was arch enemies with the Archbishop of, of New York. He was a very famous man, but I forget his name, too. But, yeah, he wasn't Ratzinger, was it? No, no, no. I believe he was an Irishman. I believe. I believe he was. But uh, not. It'll come to me later. But they were. It's all. When people say. They talk about, for instance, the founders, the, 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 the framers of the Constitution of the United States, the founders of our country. Those guys weren't the founders of our country. They were political hacks that repeated back to the ratifiers of the Constitution what they were thinking. You want to do well in politics, and that's what those fellows wanted to do. You say, well, did they believe it? Well, they probably, some of it. But the bottom line is you won't stay in a political position of power unless you can say to people, put to words, what people are thinking. And a politician will do that even if he doesn't believe it. Believe it. Some do, some don't. But let's, let's get real. These fellows that put together the Constitution, number one, they didn't come up with those ideas out of their own heads. All they did was try to keep in place the system that was already there, and they put it down on a piece of paper. It's called our common law of government. Number two, the people that ratified the Constitution, which is the, the militia of the several states of the United States, those are the ones that gave the final word, and those are the men that ratified the Constitution and put it in place. Not Federalists. The, not the framers. And as much as intrigue has happened there, it's attempts to Hamilton. Now, Brent, you're clipping again. You're clipping again. Let's wait. Hold, hold where you are just a second and see if the packets can get straightened out where we can really understand what you're saying because it's important. Yeah, we're here. Let me just add while we're waiting for that to happen, let me add a little color about his um, relationship with Hollywood, not only JFK, but his father. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a very famous broadcast company, especially in the Northeast, and many of you have saw it in old movies, uh, in the logo at the start of a movie where it's got the AM radio tower and it shows the waves going out on each side. Dun, 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 dun. And then that company is called RKO. Okay, yeah. uh, they've got a huge AM. Uh, the chain station is in Boston, WRKO, and K and RKO stands for Kennedy. So that's the connection to Hollywood. Uh huh. Well, they saw what well, before that. He, well, no, it was during the time of Joe. Joe Kennedy was ambassador to England. Britain, yeah, he stole a lot of taxpayer. 
billion, it would be equivalent to billions of taxpayers. You, that's how he really became wealthy the first time. Do you know how, but what he did before he got that assignment? I think well, Roosevelt got it to get him out of the country, really. Okay. He, yeah. They appointed him the first head of the SEC. He was over the whole Wall Street deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he made fortunes stealing money. And then, of course, uh, Roosevelt, these are all Democrats. His association with Hollywood was strong, and he enlisted all of Hollywood, even Walt Disney, to promote his ideas, promote the war, get people fired up against uh, against the Japs and the Germans, and uh, you got to do that or people won't kill people, you know. And they did all that, and I'm not saying that was all wrong. I'm just saying uh, he depended on Hollywood, and he depended upon and hired and used taxpayers' dollars to hire people like Woody Guthrie to write communist songs and uh like what was he wrote oh this land is your land this right. land is my land you read the lyrics of that song and all the verses and with it keep in mind the guy was a a, a communist and didn't hide it and you can see the com- this land uh, communism in the lyrics of that song that's so popular and then silly americans sing it and get all teary-eyed and singing a communist song this land is your land this land is my land What's that? That's communism. This land is not your land and my land. My land is my land. Your land is your land. And we live in this big country that we all want to protect. But the whole, the lyrics, and the further you go through it, you can see that he was promoting. Oh, people say that's not communism. That's socialism. There isn't any difference. No, no. no, there, no there's there a sl- no difference. All the words they throw around are just to fool people. Communism is communism. You can call it Fabianism, Roger, we've talked about that, which yep. is just a softer approach to putting the same evil system in place, but it's all the same filthy trash, it, like manure in the barn. Every time you dig into it and flip it over, it stinks worse than it did before. Well, that's what that stuff is. I've heard, well, Brent, I've heard, I'm going to just give a little color to what you said there. Uh, a communist is a socialist in a hurry is one way it's described uh, and the other is a communist is a socialist with a gun yeah and it'll come to that always and then in the end uh, see what some people say well that's collectivism well really what it is you want a, a word that just covers the evil empire because it's all the same stuff too many labels it is the law yep. of the city that's yep. what it is yep as opposed to the law of the land. It is imperialism as opposed to our common law. It is the government of a single will as opposed to separation of powers and uh, co-equal powers and separation of powers and the jury and freedom of speech, etc. By the way, somebody told me, we just were finishing up, Roger, our course on drafting a common law asset protection trust. We've got one more week, but it's all available. Available still, audio and visual. People want to want to take the course and listen to it. That's at uh, commonlawyer.com. You can get the course there. But the push now is from those that are around me that the next 12-week course, it's a law school we're trying to operate here, and it's developed over the years. But the next 12-week course that is being suggested is the four boxes. And I we got to talking about it yesterday. And uh, if we teach a course on the four boxes, we can cover the gamut of fundamentally what the limits of government are. Because the limits of government, the limits of government in our condition are. Hold on, Brent. Hold on. Uh, 
hold on. We, we got that. We got that packet problem again here. Hold on, because I know everybody wants to hear what you're saying. Uh, just for the audience, while that's happening, Brent has been doing these uh, schools, these law schools. They've done a, a, a number of series on the grand jury, and he uh, did a couple with a sheriff, a constitutional sheriff in Michigan named Darleaf, I believe is his name. Uh, right. And so he's got a lot of uh, a, a, a lot of really good archives for people that are so oriented that they want to you know learn that stuff. What's this about his lawsuit, yeah. by the way, Brent? That I hear, Sheriff oh, Sheriff Dar. The evil, deadly corrections grand jury investigations and criminal prosecutions and all for one simple reason because he has temerity in his little rural county to investigate voter fraud in the last presidential okay there you go and he says and rightly says that that uh, he's the sheriff and so it's his duty he has to investigate when people bring evidence and people have brought evidence and so he's investigating. Well, amazingly, that has drawn national attention to him, of course. And uh, the evil forces, the trilogy of witches. There's a trilogy of witches in the state of Michigan, the governor. Oh, boy, is there. The secretary it's of a coven. The they call that a coven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, uh, the attorney general and the lieutenant governor. That's what it is. Uh, how people like that get into office, I'm not sure. George Soros. George Soros. There's your answer right there. Yeah, George Soros, and we could put connect the dots, but the people of Michigan didn't put those people into office any more than the people of America put Joe Biden into office. He's not president. He's not qualified to be a president, and he was not elected. Don't quit saying it. It's just a fact. And those that would deny it are part of the problem. And I, I cannot allow them to plead ignorance if it ever comes to light to, and becomes undeniable to them. Because, you know, even at common law, if there's something you don't know, you're ignorant of something, but you're responsible to know, then the knowledge, the law attributes the knowledge to you. That's why we say no, no, or should have known, I think is the phrase. Should have known, yeah. You either know it or should have known it, and that all amounts to the same thing. You know it, and that's why we say ignorance of the law uh, is no excuse, uh, Roger, except in one significant exception in the federal courts. Ignorance of the law is a complete defense to a, one particular crime in the federal courts if the, the appellate courts and the Supreme Court will ever observe it, and that's called the cheek defense. Oh, yeah. C-H-E-E-K, and the cheek versus the united states it was a tax case and in that case it was ruled that when it comes to tax law federal tax law ignorance of the law can be a complete defense to the crime accused because said the court nobody can be expected to know the tax law it's too vast and it's too complicated but the courts have habitually avoided or stepped around by dancing that defense when it's asserted. 
Yeah, well, it's called the will. Right. It's called the willfulness defense. A lot of people tried well, it after the cheek. Away willfulness. That's yeah, right. After the cheek decision, and the basic thing is, he said, "I didn't." It was a failure to file case, if I remember. Uh-huh. And he said, "I didn't do it willfully. I'd studied this, and I didn't think I had any obligation." And they ruled on the side. Okay. Uh huh. So anyway, just uh, that's one of those good cases that the IRS hated to lose right there because it puts real big egg on their face. Oh, yeah. It's a constant dance back and forth. But I covered, uh, I jumped on my horse and I rode off in 14 different directions. So well, I- we had a little we had a little fidelity problem in the middle that distracted us, too. Uh, there was something I was going to say, and it slipped my mind. Uh, uh-huh. But these are really, this historical stuff, if you're kind of new to this and you're not familiar with some of this history, it really all adds up to where we are today. And uh, there's been a lot of people that blew the whistle along the way. And they've been successfully uh, subdued, unfortunately, for the most part. Uh, but, you know, we mentioned last week this guy, I guarantee you, nobody had ever heard of him, Jerry Voorhees, okay? A uh, very conservative representative House member from California, back when California used to register more of its conservative values. And uh, he was all over the Federal Reserve, very vociferous uh, opponent of the Federal Reserve. And this is where Nixon came from. Okay, was fighting him. He replaced Jerry Voorhees in the House of Representatives, and I guarantee you it was Rockefeller money behind him. I guarantee you. Uh huh. No, I, I get, I get it. We had talked about that last time. I remember yeah. Bill Voorhees wrote a book. Yes. About his experiences in politics, and I remember somebody said last time that Nixon uh, was able to defeat him because he was the choice of the evil empire somebody on the show yeah and uh i don't know the answer to that question Um, i do know and i think i remember it said this that nixon says in his autobiography that he could not have ever been considered as a viable candidate for president of the united states until the people who annually meet at the bohemian grove and buy them at the bohemian grove at their meeting and he did um, let me at that point. Let me inject something that's important. I sent it to you this morning, Brent. Uh, Mark Dice's uh, installment today is all around the Bohemian Grove. He's got a lot of history in there. Some I wasn't even familiar with, really. And uh, uh, it's it's worth watching. He quotes Nixon's autobiography on the screen in that uh, clip oh. today. I sent it to you. Okay, so oh, okay. I caught it that it said that, but I didn't get to listen to it. But well, it's what? short. All of Mark's stuff, you know, four or five minutes yeah. generally, and uh, there's a lot of good information. Now, he said something in there that I did not know, is uh, that they put out occasionally a yearbook from the Bohemian Grove oh. for the members. Yeah. And as older family members die and their book collection goes on sale or whatever, he's been able to acquire a couple of them. Pretty interesting. So anyway, you may want to go. It's over on BitChute, where I found it this morning. You may want to go over and follow up on that's pretty good. Pretty good little segment today on on the Bohemians. Well, there's a follow up coming back. Brent, we got to see if we can do something about your signal. You're clipping again. You'll come in and be real clear, and then you fade right back out. Um, you want you, you want you want to back out and try and come back in and see if that straightens yeah. it out. Yeah, I'll do it. Okay. Okay, we'll see Brent in a minute. Hopefully we'll get that little 
uh, unfidelity problem straightened out. But, uh, yeah, that's a very interesting Mark Dice thing today. By the way, I had a, a comment from our good listener, Jimmy, longtime listener, Jimmy, last night. He was looking. He said, man, Roger, I went all over the Internet, and I couldn't find anything on that Virginia Tech thing you were talking about yesterday. And I, I directed him. I put that segment, again, Mark Dice, uh, I put that at the bottom of yesterday's show description if you haven't uh, if you haven't gotten that. I don't know if Brent saw it or not. Brent, are you back with us? This is pretty important here, really. I'm moving, Roger, so I'll be back in a minute. Okay, well, I'll hold on and tell about this until Brent gets back with us. Um, but it was because uh, all we've heard for the last couple of years is follow the science. And, boy, this is some science that everybody not only needs to learn about, they need to follow. Uh, Brent, you close to a router yet? No, it's going to take me a minute, Roger. Okay, well, you're better right here. You can hear me, though, right? Well, I can hear you, sure. Okay, well, let me tell you what's going on here. Uh, This was on the Mark Dice segment two days ago, and it is a scientific experiment that's coming out of Virginia. And one of the guys, I believe, and I just listened to it once, so, you know, my faulty memory at times, I think he said he went to Georgia Tech, or Virginia Tech, excuse me. And Virginia Tech's got a big MRI center in their medical center up there. And he started putting people into the magnetic resonance machine and then showing them pictures that would elicit emotions. And what they found was that if you put anything in it that requires empathy and compassion – that their brains would light up like a like a damn arena man in one section of their brain and other people it wouldn't light up at all and he said it's 95 percent correct he can predict whether somebody's a conservative or a liberal by doing that test right there <laughs> damn the reason well i doubt if they let it into any court as evidence I, I don't know he says 95 percent correct uh, 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 on the, and, and you can understand why jimmy had such a hard time finding the story they don't want that out yeah i get what i'm saying well, I'm well now you were good a minute ago and now you're breaking up a little bit again so I don't know if you're at home or on the road or whatever, and we usually don't have this problem too much, but I hope we can get it rectified because because uh, people want to hear what you got to say, Brent. It's always some technical snuff, and it usually we go through the week pretty good. We had a pretty hectic hectic. Was it earlier this week or last week? All that technical snaff. I think it was last week. Yeah. Ha- happens occasionally, you know. Let's oh, yeah. see. Uh, yeah, we. I think you're. I think you're a little bit better right there where you are. So let's see if it holds. Yeah, yeah. I had to take a hike. It all depends upon the weather and the router, and I guess. Yeah, yeah. You got to be close to the router because you're running on Wi-Fi. Yeah. Hey, if you want me to, I can play that. It's a little over four minutes. I've oh, got the mic now. On on the uh, on the scientific experiment, Mur. Yeah. Uh-huh. Can you play it and have us here? Neuroscientist David Eagleman visited Virginia Tech's research institute to talk with them about how they discovered that they could tell whether or not somebody was a liberal or a conservative from a brain scan. And when you find out why they're able to tell the difference, well, I mean, you're not going to be surprised, but your suspicions will be confirmed. Montague has found a link between a person's politics and one basic reaction, disgust. He has volunteers go into an MRI scanner where they look at a series of images. I show them 
somebody with a knife to somebody else's throat, physically threatening stimulus, a, a dead corpse, something that was gross, like flies on a salad or something like this. These elicit responses in your nervous system, and we record their brain activity. And they go into a booth, and they answer a political ideology survey. How do you feel about gun control, abortion, premarital sex, things like that? Montague's results are striking. The greater the disgust response in the brain, the more conservative the person is likely to be. A smaller response correlates with a more liberal outlook. This is like finding the missing piece of the political puzzle that explains everything. The shocking part is that your response to a single disgusting image can predict your score on that test with 95% accuracy. Think about how profound this discovery is for a moment. When liberals see something that's potentially dangerous, that's disgusting, perverted, abnormal, instead of having the normal warning signs going off in the brain that alerts them that something is not right, they feel nothing. Look at how freaked out this guy is by his discovery. He knows the implications of this, but he just can't say it. In fact, it seems to be the exact opposite with liberals. They're repulsed by normal things like responsibility, jobs, families, and beautiful women. Seriously, this might explain the whole fat is beautiful phenomena where liberal media says that women like Amy Schumer and Lizzo are beautiful and sports illustrated is putting obese women on the cover of the swimsuit edition i'm sure you know that many liberals are so confused these days that they're coming up with new genders named after their favorite foods for example cake gender um i know a few people who personally use this um it's typically described as them feeling light and fluffy or sweet and warm and it's not something that you could typically describe with the term masculine, feminine, androgynous, etc. Another example of cake gender would be if someone feels like they have different layers or flavors to their particular gender. You know, the discovery at the Neuroimaging Lab at Virginia Tech fits in with other research that's been published in the American Journal of Political Science, which found that liberals tend to be psychotic. Surveys have also found that conservatives find life more meaningful than liberals because, well, obviously, they're miserable. And they're the ones who are always saying we should trust the science about global warming and the changing of the seasons. Well, the science shows that there's something wrong with Democrats' brains. The basic mechanisms in the brain that are supposed to alert humans about what is abnormal and what should be avoided aren't working. <laughs> and we haven't been saying liberalism is a mental disorder as a joke. We've known this. Funny, however, is my science proves Democrats are brain dead shirts, which you can get 20% off of. So there you go. Thank you, Murr, for doing that for us. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Murr. No, that is. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, at every, every point in our history, the political fight is over who gets control of the Christian mind. It's called, you know, back in the earlier part of the 80s, it was the moral majority. Right. Call it whatever you want. That, that block of, of influence and voters, if it's not captured, then the person that does not capture it will not have political control. It's been obvious through the decades that the, when I say Christian, I mean the folks somehow in their law influence of the I used to 
Is that cat Roman Catholic? No, it's not Roman Catholic. The influence of the Bible there has very little, very little influence in that group. And traditionally, the Romanist has been a Democrat throughout our history. All of them. Uh, of course, there are exceptions, but it still continues that way. And the, also, the Jewish voter has been a Democrat. As a matter of fact, the Bolshevik movement, the worldwide international communist movement, that's what Bolshevikism is, it, that was a, a movement of Judaism. So the... the uh, the uh, Zionist or the Jew and the Romanist have traditionally been Democrats, but there is that block of, of puritanical, puritanical. When I say puritanical, I'm using that word in the sense of the of old England. The same fundamental principles that we started with come through. I'm talking about the pilgrims and the Puritans and the Congregationalists. That has come through as the Bible-believing block, the, that label of Christianity that claims the Bible as their final rule of faith and practice. It's still out there. It has always been out there, and it always will be. But without that, because that's where the true authority is, and that's where the true power is, the power of God comes through what he has communicated to us in writing as a matter of evidence. That evidence is what forms the springs of action among men as his will. It does it in a mysterious way that is not obvious in the majority sense. God does not work in the majority sense, but if a, a, a political movement doesn't capture that power, they will not retain power. And in America, that's been more true than in any other place in the world, all in the history of mankind. And so the battle's still over. We say conservatism, it's more than that. No, it's that block of people that their affections are on the word of God. Their affections. And uh, it is without question, the affections, the religious affections, are the springs of all human activity. Yep. And the affections of Bible-believing folk are the, their springs, and that's where the power, the activity that has real power, lasting power, has always been and still is. But again, in a mysterious way that it's hard to put your finger on, but you certainly can't identify the majority and say that's where it is because the Bible and the power that comes through the Bible, the power of God the Spirit, comes through what he has said. That's how he communicates his power among the activities of men. He does not communicate it willy-nilly, haphazardly, just here and there in indiscriminate ways. No, it always comes through what he has said. And he has recorded what he has said in the book. And when men are captured, when that what he has says, said captures men, the springs of their affection, their deepest affections, then what they do and what they say will turn the world upside down, even though they can't see it at the time. That's how true power works in the world. It comes through the world. God never does anything that he doesn't do it using the power of his word. He said 
he said, There be light. And what happened? It doesn't say there was light. The Hebrew says light happened. You know, it's big today to talk about happening, happening, and what's happening, and all that. Well, God is one. The first time he speaks, he makes something that is more powerful, a matter of physical, than the laws of physics, than anything that's happened. And that is light. He made it happen. And there is no verb, like to say in the Semitic tongues, there is no be, there is no action. Word, when it says, and light happened, the word is the same verb, the same verb as the name of God, Yahweh. Really? Some people say Yahweh, but it's the same verb that people say Yahweh, Jehovah. He used that verb. He that verb of action, but under context, is defines the action bespoken. And that verb is used. It's Thousands of times more. Well, it's used seven thousand over seven thousand times in the Old Testament as the name of God. It's used many more times than that to describe or to indicate that some action has occurred. God is a God of action, and when He speaks, happens. <laughs> you know the the man came to Jesus and said he was a Roman centurion, a captain in the Roman legions. And he came to Jesus and said, there's a little girl in my household that's dying. I want your help. I want her healed, please. And, and then he said, you don't even have to come to my house. I know how this works. All you got to do is say the word. That's all you got to do. And he said, I am a man that have men under me. I say what I want done, and they do it. My servants and my junior officers, my men as a Roman legionnaire, they go here and they go there. I don't have to do it. I just say the word. I have men over me, I'm over, he said. Uh, they say the word to me. They don't do anything. They say the word to me, and I'm under orders. I go do it. And he said, I understand you are the creator, you have created all things, and when you speak, even, he didn't say this, but we see this in the record, the wind and the waves of the sea obey him. Why? Because he is the creator, and they are the, those things are creature. They are creaturely. They are his creation, as are we. And this Roman legionnaire said that. Just say the word. Don't even have to come to the house. Relax. I'm not asking you to come. And Jesus Christ said of this non-Israelite, or he could have been an Israelite, I guess. We don't know, but he certainly was not a votary of Babylonian Judaism. He was not a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a scribe of, the, of Judaism. He said to the Judaites of that day, he said of this Roman legionnaire, I haven't seen so great a trust of a man in all of Israel. That means in the geographic boundaries of, of Judea. That's what he said of this man who understood that single concept of the spoken word. 
depending upon who has authority. How many folk don't have a clue about that, want to claim to be Christian, and are not willing, do not recognize true authority when they see it, do not recognize themselves a certain authority, fly the flag of They say, I have Jesus Christ, and they do things that Jesus Christ said they have authority to do. That today a false flag, and that is a violation of the commandment that says, take my name in vain. No, what's my name? That's authority. Do not take the authority of God, says God, when you do, unless the God says you have authority to do it. Often I see that over and over and over and over again. And Jesus Christ will say to such persons in the final day, He will say to such persons in the final day, Boy, I can't, usually we don't have these problems. If you're new to the show here on Friday or new to the show in, in general, when we have Brent on, he travels a lot, and sometimes he'll get in hotels with this problem. Generally, we got pretty clear fidelity and connection, so I don't know what's going on up there today. I don't know if he's home or traveling or what. It seems to me like he might be at home. Brent, you back with us? I'm back, Roger. You know, I think I'm, I may have identified the problem. No sense boring people with the details, but I'm going to try to keep it from happening. But I should have a clear signal now. You so. do. You're real, you're loud and clear, Peg and five well, in the thanks right. Thanks for covering for me, Roger. But I talk when Roger to talk. Sometimes I'm not real big on all the technical stuff. I've learned a lot, and I'm doing better than I've done. I have something new every day. I just learned something right now. <laughs> We're doing better. Anyway, Roger, back to you. Okay. Um, let's see. I don't know if I have any place to go right off the bat, but, uh, you know, the thing that I have found is, of course, I, my previous life was not, uh, as I say affectionately, we didn't get into the arena by the exit door in the choir room. And uh, as I got into this stuff, the seeds that were planted by my parents with me, uh, you know, going to vacation Bible school, going to church, my parents sang in the choir, and so they could, both of them could watch me and make sure I was behaving during the service. And believe me, if I misbehaved, I'd hear about it, okay? And, and so I had those trainings. I, like many others, which I dare say most others, drifted off into the world as you get a little older and think you know everything in your early 20s. And it was this information that brought me back to these spiritual and, and biblical uh, foundations, really, because as I started investigating the uh, the the political part and all the things we study here every time you go down a trail it always ended up in the bible it always ended up there every time there's no exceptions and pretty soon you know even an old blind hog finds an acorn every now and then and uh, pretty soon you start realizing there's a connection there you better start paying damn attention and uh, it just gets stronger and, and intensifies as you get deeper into this my, my experience uh, others too dare i say uh, have found the same thing it always leads us back to, to these foundations and it's one of the reasons that brent's with us on fridays you know it didn't necessarily start this way uh years ago when we started doing shows and i should go ahead and tell this story brent the way you and i met um uh, at the ex-wife number two i call her uh, the micro effect um larry b craft an attorney did you know larry's wife died by the way brent that's what i hear 
Um, anyway, Larry B. Kraft had a show on the weekends on uh, Micro Effect, and he'd send out an email as to his guests every week. And he sent out an email. So I got this guy, Brent Winters, on with me, and he's an expert in the common law. And I knew that we were moving over into the common law, and I also had paid, even back then and found out very painfully there wasn't very many people that knew much about it. Okay? My teacher, John Benson, and what my original intent was was to get Brent Winters and John Benson on a show together, which would have been an out-of-the-park home run. Okay, And unfortunately, John was too sick and, and, and passed away. Uh, and so Brent and I started doing these shows, and our databases hooked up so well uh, on all this historical and legal stuff. And I'd say something he didn't realize. It spurned something he said that he didn't realize. He'd say that, and it spurned something in me. So it was like this continually building on positives. And here we are seven years later, you know, except that as the situation that we're in has gotten more intense and these things have become more obvious it just becomes to me a a little bit more critical that uh, on fridays here that we go over some of these spiritual messages so that people have got something to noodle on ruminate on chew on all weekend you know and uh, used to be when we started this show was in the afternoon slot so it was late friday afternoon and now we're in the morning so it's slightly different not much but anyway that's the idea and brent and i have found a a a real deep friendship here i think and uh, a, a a commonality of uh, background in a sense and knowledge and uh, the fact that we really feed off each other real well. And for somebody that's been in the media business for a long time, what I'd say is that we just had instant chemistry. Okay, and it's never gone away in all these years, and uh, the audience likes it, and it's usually uh, the highest uh, listened to program during the week. And so there's a little background on how Brent and I started this and how it's evolved into what it is now, really. You pretty well agree with that, Brent? Now well, he's not even there now. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's uh, just on my mind for the new people that wonder about this. And as I was saying, that email I got this morning from this guy, Kevin, in South Carolina, I wrote him back and said, look, I've been doing a weekly show with an attorney for seven years, and there's never been any problem with this, you know. Uh, so anyway, I understand people's uh, fear understand it very well and i feel sorry Roger. for him and i you know i understand what's going on yes who's trying to say something this is uh ozark animal oh hey dan I, uh god bless you brent um i'd like to give you a website that you, that he could check out for a for a pastor who lives off grid in the endless mountains in pennsylvania if i may sure I hope, I hope, I guess Brent's still with us. I don't know. I'm hoping anyway, we'll try and get it to him if he, if he's not with us at the moment for whatever reason. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Definitely. Thenarrowway.net. And it's Pastor Robert. And go into like his archives and whatnot. He's got a radio program on uh, uh, 48, 48, uh, I forget it. I'll let you know some other time about the radio program, but it's on. It's on at um, Sunday nights on the shortwave at seven o'clock. I believe it's seventy four ninety or forty eight forty. One of those two, and it's only a half hour program. But um, I, I've been kind of put on the path and studying and whatnot for the last twenty two years. And um, anybody that's really looking for some uh, 
they enjoy listening to Brent, they'll love Pastor Robert. Okay. And that's all I have to say for right now. What, so was, thank you. what was his website again, Dan, if you'd repeat that? TheNarrowWay.net. TheNarrowWay.net. Is he on WWCR? Yes. Okay. Nice. Seven o'clock, 7 o'clock Central Standard Time on Sunday evenings for a half hour. Okay. On WWCR, good old shortwave radio. I've actually been to that station, Dan. I was up in Nashville on a trip, a business trip, and uh, I, I got a hold of Adam Locke, who used to be the general manager over there, program director, and took him out to lunch one day and had a nice lunch with Adam Locke, and uh, he gave me a tour of uh, his only shortwave station I've ever been through. It's very, uh, the facilities are real similar, but it's just the tower and everything that's so different because of the delivery system. But uh, really, really good uh, asset for us, WWCR, for a long time. Back in the old days, before there was oh, yeah. internet radio, it's only where you could get this information was that that outlet right there for the most part. You, you know what's interesting in that how every everyone's attacked or um, uh, censored on the internet on YouTube and whatnot. Yet I haven't heard of any attacks on any of the shortwave uh, radio. radio the, the, they don't have yet. big. They don't have big enough listenership. Is a reason I, I, I would say you know really, um, yeah, good. We'll so just hope it keeps going. All right, well, glad to have you with us, Dan. Thanks for the contribution, Brent. Did you get back up with us yet? Yes. Okay. I did. Okay. Did you hear about Thanks. Pastor Robert here that Dan was telling us about? No, I didn't. I go ahead and tell me real quick. Okay, Dan, know. repeat it for Brent. Mm, okay. The I'll, narrowway.net. Oh, I see. You're talking about a website. It's a pastor who, who broadcasts for 30 minutes on Sunday nights on WWCR. He's in the part of Pennsylvania, and his name's Pastor Robert. That's about what I got out of it, Dan. Is that right? He's on shortwave. He's got uh, – right. well, his, at, his website, at his website, thenarrowway.net, he has an archive section that has all of his previous uh, radio broadcasts. It's at Rumble. It's in the chat. Okay, it's in Rumble, too. Dan thinks that you'd uh, uh, like Pastor Robert. Brent was the reason for that injection. Oh, I see. Okay. But WWCR is out of Nashville, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. I used to be on WWCR, and I heard you. I uh, enjoyed it a lot because you can do whatever you want on WWCR because the federal legislation that uh, uh, opened up during the presidency of reagan opened up a uh, shortwave uh for the purpose according to congress for the purpose of promoting americanism throughout the world so they're not under the restraints of all the legislation that domestic radio is under even though all america can hear wwc well now that's not totally right now <laughs> all of america can't hear it real easily and the reason that legislation was right that like that is what you said it's directed at foreign audiences right. do y'all know how shortwave works you know where you got you got three you got shortwave which is the high end of the am by dial and you got fm which is frequency modulation okay am has to have a sky wave that connects with a ground wave that's where the RKO thing we mentioned earlier, that logo that has the uh, signals emitted out from the tower, notice they go from the sky to the ground. They've got to connect for you to receive. 
Okay, FM is line of sight. It's a totally different. That's why you see all the FM towers up on the high buildings because they get the biggest coverage that way. All right. Now, shortwave, as opposed to being a traditional AM signal that would go out uh, regulated on on direction that the signal goes in the strength and days and nights and all that kind of stuff, shortwave doesn't go like that. It bounces off of the atmosphere. And that's the way they get it all the way around the world, especially at night. You'll hear the shortwave stations are much better at night because at night the ionosphere kind of freezes and gets hard, and those signals bounce off of it. And in the daytime for a shortwave signal, they're not because the ionosphere is not in that condition during the day, they're bouncing it off mid-level clouds and the, and the water vapor in clouds. But that's why it goes all over the world. In the daytime, they'll broadcast out of Nashville for South America. But at night, they'll broadcast off the ionosphere for Africa and the other other side of the world. So that's kind of a just a layman's term of how those three work. That's a good, that's a good, uh, good review of all that, Roger. I don't understand all of it. I've always heard, though, that the consistency of the soil and the ground makes a difference yeah well here's another let me tell you this story this is very interesting uh atlanta where i spent all my record business years and uh, uh is the poorest fm market in the united states did you know that brent no i didn't know that They're notoriously the worst am market in the country because just out east of atlanta there's a little monolith an outcrop called stone mountain which I'm sure most of you heard about. Stone Mountain is the largest granite outcrop in the world. And it's got all that bedrock, that bedrock granite underneath it. And WSB, which is the Cox family broadcasting flagship there in Atlanta, WSB, AM, FM, TV, and they own the Atlanta Constitution on top of all that. Uh, they're a big 50,000-watt WSB's three-letter channel. What three-letter stations mean is that there's no other station in the United States on that frequency that can interfere with it, especially at night when they get the because they're all 50 kw uh maximum broadcast and at nights when you get those long skips you know and so uh they had to because am is so terrible in atlanta out at their tower which is over around decatur close to stone mountain brent they had to take a bulldozer out there and bulldoze up an entire field and they buried underground a entire copper sheet and they attached the transmitter ground wave to that sheet so it kicks out the ground wave that's why you can hear wsb so good and that explains too why um off of southern california a lot of the am towers are on the island yep. called Catalina. yeah because they get a skip they get a skip off the ocean this, that's why you can take WWL out of New Orleans and hear it down in South Florida like it's a local because it's skipping over the Gulf. Yeah, I know. I get what you're saying. That's important to understand. But now you said it doesn't always reach the United States, but it off and on will reach all of it at different right, times. Right. Yeah. Here's the problem not. we used to have. Uh, Atlanta was so close to Nashville. that as they're shooting that signal up you're so close to the transmitter that you miss the majority of the signal yeah yeah oh yeah i get what you're saying now uh so what was nice about being on shortwave on wwcr was under that legislation because that even though the united states could largely hear what we were saying 
Uh, the target, according to the federal legislation, is the rest of the world. Right. Therefore, boy, I wish we could get this little problem isolated. Brent, last we heard was therefore, and you left us. You're still gone. Well, oh, there yeah. you are. Okay, you're back now. We wonder if it has to do with the consistency of the soil here, but because they were trying to promote Americanism to the world, they love it. They play country western music. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I got all the country western music, the old stuff, gospel music. That's what they want. That's what the purpose of the station is. So it's fun to do to 15 minutes playing another song. And people like, a like that. I had a lot of fun doing that. Hey, Roger, back to you. I'm okay. still being heard. Yeah, well, you're still oh, clipping. Right. You're clipping a little bit. I don't. I wish we could isolate that problem, no. but we might not be able to. It may just be a cir- circumstance there for the day. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the. Think about the four boxes. Yeah, we wanted. To, I wanted to get back to this four boxes because I've never heard of that, and I want to know what it is. And I think I'm going to do it, but. That'll be after this course. We've got one more, one more presentation concerning the how to draft an asset protection trust, and then the plan is to go into the four boxes. When the four boxes are the the jury box, the ballot box, the cartridge box, and the soap box. You see, the soap box is about freedom of speech. The cartridge box is about the four militia clauses of our constitution. The jury box is about the common law right to trial by jury. doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And, of course, the ballot box is is about voting, uh, which is, by definition, expressing your will. When you vote, the word vote is Latin, Latin-based word. It means will, volition. What do you want? It doesn't mean you get what you want. Voting is appropriately named. It means you have an opportunity to make a secret expression of what you want without anybody identifying who made that vote, unless you want to tell people. That's what voting is. Of course, we know that, as I'd said a while ago, our common law tradition, our common law tradition is not fundamentally about democracy. Our common law tradition is about the jury at the bottom because the jury in our common law tradition, is the final arbiter of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. So who has godhood down here on land in our common law tradition with a little G? Godhood with a little G, it is the jury. The Bible ordains the jury, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, many other places. Of course, Jesus Christ impaneled the 12-man jury to be witnesses of the evidence of his identity. There were 12 tribes. The number 12 is important from cover to cover and lid to lid of that collection of 66 writings called the Bible. And God has ordained the jury to be to serve God with a big G, the final decider of right and wrong in the skies and on the land, in all of creation, in individual instances, from whose decision there certainly is no appeal. But down here on land, God has delegated to men this power in a small and limited way. And the jury, only our common law tradition has the jury, uses the jury, the 12-man jury, 
And the jury is the final decider, not the legislator, not the executive, not even the court, but the jury. And so we want to talk about the jury box. Without the jury, there is no common law tradition. Without the, without the cartridge box, the four militia clauses of our Constitution, again, an expression of our common law traditions, um, our common law traditions feature called, we call it today the militia, called the, the vote right, the vote right, the people's duty, an old Germanic speech of our Anglo tradition. Those boxes, the ballot box, the jury box, uh, the soap box, freedom of speech. So I want to talk about those four boxes and the expression of them that our common law gives us, the re-expression of them that our Constitution of the United States gives us, uh, that Magna Carta uses and talks about, um, and has been uh, the fundamentals of our common law tradition for way before Magna Carta, by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, our common law tradition goes back to the creation of mankind, and you can show it throughout the Bible as well. But that's what I'd like to talk about, and that how does our common law tradition limit government? See, if there is no objective outside of mankind power that men recognize that limits government, then there is no limit of government among men. And that's the city law, the city, the civil law tradition, as opposed to our common law tradition. The law of the land versus the law of the city. If there is among the minds of men in a particular country no outside objective force to limit the, the governments among men, then the governments among men become total. That's what you have in all the world. Sometimes they don't talk about it much, but it's always there in case government wants to use it. It's total. There is no appeal from government in countries that recognize total power of men on earth, and they don't recognize any outside power. All of South America, all of Mexico, all of the communist countries uh, since communism been out there, they're all under the Code of Justinian, the ancient law of the Roman Empire, which is the compilation of the ancient laws of Babylon that have come down to Rome through all of the scions of Babylon, through the, the, the history of mankind, uh, the city of Pergamos, the cities of the city-states of Egypt, city-states of Mesopotamia, starting with Babylon, Ur, all the city-states, the law of the city, have come down to us. Our common law has always been there. But our common law is the law that recognizes the creator of all things to be the final final decider of right and wrong in individual instances and from whose decision there is no appeal. You see, there is no justice, no justice except of the individual man or woman. There is no legislation that produces justice. No, no, justice always has to be individual. There is no rights of unions. Labor unions do not have rights. It's said they do. That's communism. That's socialism. That's the law of the city. That's the, the societal rights. There are no societal rights. Rights are duties. And duties come down to the individual man in his relationship to his maker and the duties that his maker put upon him individually 
directly with no intermediary. And it is our common law that recognizes that. There are only two traditions of religion, law, and government in the world. Never have been any more than two. Never will be any more than two. The law of the land and the law of the city. That's it. And there are variations on that that line, that continuum between those two poles. But all men and all nations are always tending toward the one or toward the other. Which pole is America tending toward? More importantly, which pole are you as an individual man or woman tending toward? Are you tending toward the law of the land? Or your your, uh, relationship with your maker is unimpeded? And you do what he says as final arbiter of right and wrong in the individual instances of your life? Or are you tending for the law of the city where the powerful party, the powers that be, whoever that may be, whatever that may be, government of a single will, uh, uh, God, uh, someone you recognize as final. Maybe it's yourself you recognize as final and you're stupid enough to use yourself as your own God. I meet people like that. Constantly, I'll ask them who their God is. Well, I don't. I don't have religion. Don't be stupid, friend. If you don't have anybody you recognize as your God, your final decider of right and wrong, except yourself, you're your own God. And if you're foolish enough to choose something that weak for your lawgiver, your final decider, then you're going down sooner than later. And whatever you attach yourself to is your final decider of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. What or who you attach yourself to, well, you will have subsumed yourself in that thing or person. And if that thing or person is less than the maker of all things, it's going down. And when it goes down, you go down. Napoleon said, I am France and France is me. Well, that's the law of the city. The law of the city is you subsume yourself. You subsume yourself in the powers that be. Your identity comes from them. And by the way, when France went down, Napoleon went down. And when Napoleon went down, France went down with him. You know what? I'm going to bring something interesting into that right there. You talk about the power of God. You know what defeated Napoleon? Go ahead, Roger. That huge volcanic eruption on the other side of the world that caused a total terrible summer of, you know, low temperatures, clouds, rain. And that's the reason he got defeated. He couldn't move his army around in the mud. Krakatoa? Pardon me? Krakatoa, was it? Yeah, I think it made one, one of those big volcanoes. It was in the year before. And once they eject that much uh, uh, dust in the air, it takes a while for it to cover and get into the northern atmosphere. But it did eventually, and people are saying that that is the reason they had such a terrible summer. And it caused all the rain, and it was the rain in the mud that defeated Napoleon. Well, so for whatever that's worth. Yeah, well, that's all. God's always present, working among men, doing what he wants. And then, of course, add to that, uh, people say the English, the British, I should say, defeated Napoleon. Well, they got the credit, and it was important that they were there, but the British wouldn't have won if the Prussians hadn't showed up at the last minute riding full speed on their horses. Right. They were the ones that (laughs) provided the final straw that broke the camel's back. Dirty Russian. Russia, Russia, Russia. No, Prussia, Prussia. Well, I know. 
basically the <laughs> same thing. Yeah, they came riding in, and uh, they were very organized, as the Prussians are. And they they uh, provided the final the final force that drove home the, the and, victory. And I have heard, I've read, actually, I read this in the Empire of the City by Knuth, which is a fabulous resource. Everybody ought to read that. Um, that that's the reason the Rothschilds, one of the reasons of the newer one, reasons they hate. Uh, the Russians so much as they came. That was their first attempt at a new world order, and the Russians came in and 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 got that sidetracked. Well, probably true, and uh, they had to get Russia. I see your point. They had to get Russia, and so they they took over. Bolshevikism took over Russia. Yep, and uh, the Bolsheviks were not necessarily russians matter of fact most of them you know that situation is really exacerbated by by this ukraine situation it's just another modern outgrowth of that ancient situation of this rivalry between the khazars and the rus and it was the rus that finally came down and broke up the khazar kingdom and all the khazars then migrated to eastern europe and those are your international jews those are the bankers they're all ashkenazi the, intri- the intricacies of the providence of God in all of this is so overwhelming, you, you get lost in it. But everything had to happen a certain way, and God was is in control of all of it. And I like to say, it seemed like it's always, of course, he uses men too. And, but it seemed like God, to do what he wants, to do good for his people, he uses a lot of evil people and he uses evil. Well, I should say he uses people because everybody's got that taint of evil and he uses in them what is not good to get good. He, he makes the straight lick with the crooked stick over and over and over again. So I admonished myself and others, uh, just go along peaceably with him. Don't fight him. He'll use you for what he wants either way. So you may as well go along peaceably and say, no, I try to do all I can to, to cooperate. <laughs> he'll get his cooperation. He'll get what he wants. He is sovereign. That has to be the greatest flaw. I think I'd said this. I'm going to say it again. When I did that, that uh, he called it a debate. I called it a trial. Uh, Ted Weiland, uh, down there in Missouri two, three years ago, about he, he, his idea is that the Constitution's an Antichrist document. And I wanted to go over that publicly with him. So we did. We did. But what Ted constantly says is that we need to return. We don't need the Constitution. We need to return to the laws of the Puritans of Connecticut, the Puritans of Connecticut and Massachusetts and Maine, New England. And they had it right, he says. Well, they did have it right. But if they had it so right, Ted, I'd say to him, I'd bring this up more now than I, I would have then. If they had it so right, why don't you take their view of the Bible? Why don't you follow what we call the reformed position? Why don't you acknowledge the sovereignty of God, not the free will of man? Why don't you focus on his His will and not the will of man? Why is your religion, your so-called Christianity, um, anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic, man-centered, instead of theocentric, God-centered? Uh, we should look constantly to the will of God, not the will of man. That's humanism. Man is the master of his destiny. Man must make a decision. That's the whole Billy Graham approach to Christianity. You must decide. Matter of fact, his his magazine that he's published for years, of course he's gone now, was called Decision. Right. Well, the, the, the final decision among men is not men. 
Again, we're coming back to the difference between the law of the land and the law of the city. The final decision is God's. And when the jury, even when the jury, God says when men make a decision, if they do it right, they follow the right process, due process, which is our common law. He says the, the result, the outcome is mine, not yours. God is final, always. I don't care what men decide. I have a friend who would not acknowledge that, but uh, would always say this. It's odd. It's schizophrenia. No matter what would happen, my friend would say, remember, the king always has the last move, referring to the game of chess. I don't play chess, but they tell me the king always has one more move. One more move. I don't, I don't think that's true. Not if not if he's in checkmate, he doesn't. Well, good point about that, Roger. But if but if using that principle though, using that principle, I see your point, Roger, in checkmate. And you're a chess player. No, I, I did when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did a little when I didn't catch on to it that much. I stuck with checkers, Roger. That was my game. Or, and marbles. I played marbles real good. <laughs> not, not many people can play marbles. You got to have a certain finesse with your finger not that that ever gained me anything but i was the marble championship <laughs> you got all the getter, yeah. you got all the cat eyes right yeah um, yeah me and my brother you know it's interesting down here in south america i've seen it in my travels and I'll, you'd be walking around some city you know and they got a chess club there and they're out on the sidewalks playing chess yeah oh yeah that's, i i don't see that in america as much i don't know who started the checker checker idea but uh, Earl Berkebile would always be checker champion but he couldn't play a marbles worth of hoop <laughs> and I don't know why it had something to do with his fingers I remember but boy <laughs> he had the concentration though he always made straight A's and arithmetic too yeah good morning what's that and somebody's good morning us good morning good morning oh look at that it's our mutual friend Cody Don Cody oh yeah. Hey, speaking of mutual friends like Cody, I haven't seen Harvey for a while. Oh, I haven't away. either. He's been MIA, but he's all right. I checked through a friend of his. I need to pick up the phone and call him. Oh, okay. Just just double-checking. I miss my friends. Yeah. He's been with us off and on for so long. I know you've known him for years. 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, a, that's one heck of a family, the Wysong family, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Well, yeah, they, uh, you know his brother, his older brother Charlie, lives there close to him in Chattanooga. Has fifteen children. He's got forty-five grandchildren or something already. Well, now that figures. That figures because Harvey is the, the family. The Wysongs, according to Harvey, they were uh, Roman. Catholic. Well, still part of them still are actually yeah, his cousin his, his cousin who's a, a really 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 respectable guy chris sullivan's his name a highly intellectual guy and uh, very well read and they they stayed catholic i guess their mothers were sisters and yes. uh for the audience i've mentioned this before it just the way you know it's interesting you're talking about the jury thing that's how i met harvey okay yeah and yeah. I'm, I'm riding home one night from something in downtown Atlanta out to Marietta, listening to uh, WGST, which was the station that birthed Neil Bortz and Sean Hannity. And uh, Harvey was on there, and they're talking about Fiji. And the oh. first time I'd heard of it, and I was so interested that I pulled off the road on the side of the expressway and wrote his phone number down and uh, called him, and that's how we met. Okay, uh, Harvey... Um, 
So just he's one of those people you meet, you feel like you've known your whole life. You know, we're just absolutely yeah. on the same frequency. But for the audience that doesn't know, Harvey's mother is responsible almost single handedly for the Equal Rights Amendment not being in the Constitution. Because Georgia was the pivotal ratification state, and she worked with Phyllis Schlafly, and literally her and another gal would get in the car and drive all over Georgia and go talk to uh, uh, different meetings and stuff, and they got that thing defeated. Okay, that this is the Wysong family, tremendous family. His father was a Georgia Tech uh, professor, and he's the one in World War II. I don't know if you've ever heard him tell this story, uh, Brent. Uh, he was the one as a professor that synced up and did the sinking to where they could aim machine guns and catch them consistently on targets. And the the Navy gave him a commission for that, and he gave them all the rights to it. Oh, uh-huh. I see. Well, Harvey, he used to come on with us, and we'd say, oh, Harvey, we're glad you came on. He said, and he'd say, well, I thought you fellas, it's obvious listening to you, you need a little adults. That's right. That's Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so, Cody, well, how you well, been? How's the garden coming, Cody? Oh, excellent. Tomatoes are four foot tall, looking great. I, I hit them with uh, calcium nitrate when it's not raining. uh, cody have you heard this uh, one of our newer listeners here john from utah uh who's got he's got an organic fertilizer company out there that he's had for 15 20 years and the guy that helped him start it was alexander grand bell's grandson brilliant guy and uh some folks have been using i think it's jim ram was talking about using he bought some and is using it he said man i've never seen my my garden this big so it's called Turboganics for any of the listeners out there. Turboganics.com. It's all organic and it evidently is a heck. It's very concentrated liquid, you know, a cap full for five gallons, yeah. that kind of thing. But you might want to look into that, Cody. And and audience and audience. I think this growing your own food is gonna maybe have some importance for us in the future, it appears. Yeah, I've got a clay soil, so I and I have a bunch of dead ash trees. I've been uh chopping them up and i added that as an amendment but then you got to add a little extra nitrogen to kind of get because uh, it'll steal nitrogen at the beginning as all of it breaks down but it's looking good now and uh but i was gonna ask brent the uh aren't you a little overzealous on the jury when so many states don't even let the juries uh do final sentencing we're given the power to possibly corrupt judge here's what here's, here's what's well, going on cody I'm sorry, Roger. Go ahead. I was just going to say, here's the way they flipped it, okay? The judge, when he's addressing the jury, and Brent can verify this, he says, "I hear I, you've heard the facts. I'm going to give you the law. And originally, the jury decided both. That's where they made the split. Well, the jury still has that that power yeah it does but they get those instructions before the but unfortunately you we know how the general dumb public is and their level of understanding and awareness here and they hear some judge they see as an authority figure telling them i'm going to give you the law that's what they're going to follow yeah and just because just because um the powers that be misuse the jury just because jurors are ignorant of their authority doesn't mean there's something wrong with the jury Just because people don't understand Christianity, just because people pervert the Bible, doesn't mean there's something wrong with the Bible. No, no, there's something wrong with us. Uh, We're the ones that are stupid, not the Bible and God's mind and what he's communicated through it and his promise to get it to us in a 
form that we can understand, and he does promise that, but and by his own testimony. Uh, so it's not that just because people misuse or ignore the Constitution of the United States doesn't mean that it's an Antichrist document. The problem is not the truth. The problem is men. And so the jury is right. You know, historically, the jury, uh, for centuries, the common law says you take the jury and the jurymen as they are. And once you get them in the courtroom, you don't instruct them. Once you get them in there and paneled. No, you instruct them. If you teach them when they're children in school, you teach them in high school, you teach them in college, that's okay. Or you do like Harvey used to do, stand out in the street and hand out flyers as the jury pool filed into the courthouse. Hey, listen, we shut down. Harvey and I and a couple other guys shut down the Richard B. Russell Federal Building handing out Fiji brochures out in the parking lot where they couldn't do anything to us. Yes. We we shut down the Federal Building in Atlanta, Georgia, handing out Fiji information. So that's that's okay. I'm just making the point that the doctrine of our common law is you take the juror as you find him and you you sequester him and whatever he comes up with, with along with the other jurors, that's it. So, no, I'm not overzealous about the jury any more than I'm overzealous about the Bible and almost all of Christendom for the last 2000 years has been misusing the Bible, not at some points, but at many points. That doesn't mean I'm I'm going to say there's something wrong with the Bible. There's nothing wrong with the jury. There's nothing wrong with the jury the way God instituted it. You want to understand the jury? Go read the four gospel records. The four gospel records are all about the evidence of those 12 men that Jesus Christ impaneled. He just grabbed 12 men standing around, bang, immediately said, you come with me, and they dropped everything. One fellow was a tax collector for the Roman Empire, Matthew. He got up from the tax bench and the receipt of custom, and he followed Jesus Christ, and he was for three years witnessed the evidence of his identity. That's what a jury does. A jury is there to witness the evidence presented to them and render a decision. And those 12 men, by the way, rendered a decision. You want to understand the jury at common law, contemplate. You've got to, you don't go through the gospel records. Let the gospel records go through you. Let the gospel records enamor your mind and begin to think about what is Jesus Christ doing here? All the suspensions of the laws of nature called miracles, the temporary suspensions. What's the point? Well, it all comes back to the jury. Everything comes back to the jury. Everything in life and everything in the word of God comes back to evidence because it all comes back to the jury. It's a book. It is evidence. It's a book about evidence. And it's a book about the men impaneled to witness the evidence. Now, somebody just told me, Roger, that I'm talking real loud, louder than I need to, of course, a while ago. No, it, sound, it, heard, sounds, so. it sounds good to me. I'm just glad you're not clipping out, you know. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> excuse me. Thanks, Cody. Oh, hey, can I jump in here a second? Yeah, oh, go, go ahead, ahead. Murph. It, it was Mount, Mount Tambora, not okay. Krakatoa. Okay. It was in 1815 in the following year. And not only that, but um, Charles Dickinson, Dickens was born in 1812, and his childhood was influenced by the bad weather. Right. And that, that's why I figured that into a, a Christmas carol. Oh, so okay. That. Yeah, that, that was a real severe event for the Northern Hemisphere. Yep. No summer. That's right. 
That's right. Uh, I want to tell this story. Some of you have heard it before. It's on this jury thing of a dear friend of mine uh, in Panama City, my hometown, and uh, very like-minded with us. He got called on jury duty, and he reported. You know, And really, if you're, if you're called for jury duty, if you can, I know there's some inconveniences there, but you should participate in that because you might be the one that throws a hitch in the giddy-up. Okay? Now, Jeff, my friend, was on a murder trial, and it was a very diminutive female uh her and her abusive boyfriend uh alcoholic you know drug user heavy uh lived in a trailer and they had had a a, a, you know me and mama had words and and he left and he was trying to come back and and attack her there in the trailer and a little diminutive female she grabbed his 45 not knowing that he had had that trigger uh modified to a hair trigger and he tried to come into the trailer and she accidentally hit the trigger and not knowing that and and killed him okay and so that was the scenario for the jury trial and jeff said roger we got into the jury deliberation room they brought in the gun they brought in all the ammunition put it on the table and nothing phased them until they found out i had a feed brochure and when they found out i had a feed brochure in my pocket they went nuts and there they, they, they leave a murder weapon where anybody can grab it and murder everybody. But the Fiji thing is the one they were scared of. Isn't that interesting? Understandably, but there are two things there. Number one, they'd be afraid of that, right? But the second thing is it would be contrary to law to allow somebody to bring a writing such as that into the jury room because that was not presented in evidence. Okay. Well, you got to be careful. If you, you may know the truth, like something that is on a uh, a brochure that says that the juror has authority and power, and he can say that to the other jurors. But to bring a, a pamphlet or a book into the jury room like that will throw throw it into a mistrial if the if the prosecution finds out. Mm-hmm. Well, they went apoplectic over it's what he told me, and he told me a few oh, years yeah. ago. I don't know that I remember all the details of it, but that was the scenario. Don't be dragging things. If you get on the jury, don't be dragging things into the courtroom or into the jury room that were not presented at trial because that's against the law. It has always been against the law, and rightly so, because the jury is supposed to focus 100% upon the evidence presented at trial. Now, whatever you bring in your mind, in your conscience, to the jury room, that's good, if it's the right thing, especially. If you bring in there, hey, we can do whatever we want. We can bring this verdict in if we want to in the face in the teeth, to quote the Supreme Court of the United States, and this is a good law, in the teeth of both the law and the facts, that's your prerogative to do. And I, I, I want it to happen sometimes, often, if it has to, because it reminds everyone who the God, who the gods are, who has godhood with a little g in our common law tradition as God has ordained it. And it's, it's a matter of evidence. Go ahead. Why don't judges have? Hold on, let Cody get his question out here. Why don't judges? Why don't judges have to uh, instruct the jury of that jury nullification right? Because they never have had that responsibility at common law ever for centuries. Again, it comes back to once the jury comes into the courtroom, the jury pool, you take them as they are, and the judge does not have authority to inform their consciences at that point. And that now here's the thing that. I get into trouble with some people because people like this organization that um, Roger was talking about, they want the jury to have, or the, the judge to be required 
to do that. That's that's why they're that's why they come. They, they write those pamphlets and they want they want to pass a law that requires the judge to do that. But it's my position that that's against the common law, and it is. It always has been. That gives judges the power, more power than they already have, power over the conscience of the juror. He's got too much already. He'll tell the juror, though, on the other hand, that they don't have that power. And what they're, and that's the bad thing. That's why the real answer to all this, from my, from my point of view, for what it's worth, is that we teach people in grade school, in high school, in college, in seminars, like right now on the platform of the public media, that the juror is not impeded by anything the judge says if he doesn't want to be. Right. It is the judge's duty at common law to instruct the jury as to what he believes the law is. That's true. And it's always been true. But that doesn't mean he's in charge of the case and you're bound to do what the judge says. That's another matter. So what they're doing now, and this is an evil thing, but what they're doing now is they're saying, we want you to swear as a juror that you will follow the instructions of the judge. Uh Uh-oh. And because, did you lose me? No, I just said, uh uh-oh, because I hadn't heard that before. Because we don't have the biblical point of view about oaths and vows. We've lost the law of the Bible as Christian people. We're ignorant of what the Bible says. We believe that if we've taken an oath to do something, that we're bound to follow through with it. That's silliness. Utter silliness for this reason. If you take an oath to do something that you find out is unlawful, you don't have an option to disobey your oath. You have a a lawful duty, according Mm -hmm. to the Bible, to disobey your oath if you discovered that you've sworn to something that's not lawful. Mm -hmm. Oaths are to be observed, yes. But if you take an oath that binds you to do something that you think is lawful, like follow the orders of a judge, but you find out the judge is wrong, and in your heart of hearts you believe that, then God says you have an affirmative duty to disregard your oath. You can go to the Bible, for instance. Go to the book of Acts, and you'll find there where the Jews, the Babylonian Judaites, took a blood oath to murder Paul the apostle for what he was saying. And they said, we're not going to eat or drink. It was a conspiracy, friends, to murder Paul the apostle. They took an oath. They took an oath. Does that mean that they're bound by an oath to do wrong? In their religion, it does. Obviously not. As a matter of fact, again, to repeat this one more time, if you get called to jury duty and they say, we want you to swear to that you will follow the instructions of the judge according to, uh, to what he says the law means in this case, um, if you swear to it, you then you go listen to the evidence in the trial, then you go to the jury room, and you and your heart of hearts say, wait a minute, the judge is wrong. I'm not going to do wrong. Remember, no man and no woman ever has a right to do wrong, ever. I don't care if you swore on a stack of Bibles. You still don't have a right to do wrong if you swore and you find out you swore to do wrong. Even during the Reformation, you go to the Westminster Confession. There's an entire section there called unlawful oaths and vows. Now, this is the advice that the men at Westminster gave to the Puritan, the Puritan party controlled parliament and parliament asked them 
to assemble at Westminster and answer some questions so that their legislation would not run afoul of the Bible. And they said, well, on the question of oaths and vows, that was a big question at that time in the heat of the killing that was going on during the Reformation. Who was killing who? Well, the Romanists were burning people at the stake all over Europe and especially in Britain by the hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands for violating something the Pope said. Well, what if a monk or a nun entered a monkery or a nunnery and took an oath to permanent poverty, a chastity, that's a joke, no sex, and all that kind of stupid stuff that the Bible says is unlawful to do, but they took an oath to do it. Oh, then they, the light comes on. They say, wait a minute. I don't want to live like this the rest of my life. There's nothing but pedophilia going on inside the secret walls of these nunneries and monasteries. Nothing but abuse of nuns, abuse of women, and abuse of children. That's been going on for centuries. I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. And they leave. Well, what's going to happen to them? Well, the Roman church is going to try to, the priesthood is going to try to murder them. That's what's going to happen. And that's what was going on. But then they were asking also at that time, well, but I took an oath. Don't I have to follow through with my oaths of chastity and poverty and, and my oath of absolute obedience to the Jesuit order or whatever it was? And the reformers said, no, the Bible says, no, you took an unlawful oath to do. You took an oath to obey, the, to disobey the law of God. You don't have you have a duty to disregard that oath and obey God, uh, whether it is better, said uh the apostles in the fourth chapter of Acts, whether it's better, they said to the Pharisees, the Judaites, is it better that we obey God or men? Uh, which do you think is better? As obviously, the answer is obvious. They were saying that to them. Of course, they had them beaten within an inch of their lives and turned them loose for saying it. That's the evil empire. Listen, I would rather face, and it's hard to do sometimes, but I would rather face the wrath of men jail, beating, whatever they give me, than to face the wrath of God in the final day. Who should I obey here? That's what unlawful oaths and vows are all about. So again, to back up, the jury is the, we've been dealt, the jury is delegated from God in our common law tradition, which is consonant with the Bible. Notice I said consonant, that means consistent, consonant with the Bible in our common law tradition, is it all right to take an oath to obey the orders of, or the, the, the instructions of a, of a judge uh, on matters of law? I say that's all right because you have every reason to trust that a magistrate will not misinstruct you. But if you get in the jury room after listening to the evidence and discovery he has, you don't have a choice. This is a matter of individual conscience, and it's up to you. You're not to let anybody substitute their will for yours when you're a juror. Our freedoms depend upon you saying, no, I'm deciding. I don't care what 11 jurors say. I don't care what the judge says. That's why they have juries. We have juries because we don't trust a lone employee of the state. That's a quote from Justice Scalia. We don't trust a lone employee of the state called a judge to do right. That's why we have juries. That's God's ordained way, his not not his way, his process of how we decide what is right and what is wrong. Back you, to you, Roger. you know, Brent, you brought up something that's a salient ingredient here in our current position and situation. I don't remember if it was from slouching towards Gomorrah Bork's book or Raoul Berger's book, 
uh, you, you, maybe you can correct me because you'll remember, but the fact that before in the old days they used to pick judges from the civil, you know, from private, from society, and they started plucking them out of government and sticking them into those positions, and I'll bet you that's had something to do with that. It has a lot to do with it. In uh, the annual report of the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, Roberts was chief justice. Hard to believe it's been that long, but he was chief justice, and he, the chief justice delivers an annual report, and in that annual report from 2006, he said, we have seen a change in where our judges in the United States come from, federal and state. During the Eisenhower administration, approximately 40% of our judges came from government employment and 60% came from the private practice of law. And now, that was in 2006, those numbers have flipped. Over 60% of judges come from government employment and 40% come from the private practice of law. Now, that's our common law tradition. Our common law tradition has always been that judges come from what we've called the private bar, the private practice of law. And our common law is a private law. It's a a law about private citizens, private men and women, let's put it that way, Americans suing each other. It's not about the government. Justice Scalia makes the point and I'm not quoting him exactly, but I'm using his words. He talked about swilling like pigs at the government trough. He said, you take a lawyer that spent his life swilling like a pig at government employment and make him a judge. Where are his leanings going to lie? They're going to lie with those that from whom he has received his bread and butter. He has eaten the king's bread, and he is loyal to the king. But you take a man that's been out here representing people that didn't have any money in the private practice of law, eating baloney because his clients don't have anything to pay him, but fighting hard for their fundamental rights, and he is appointed as a judge, where are his leanings going to be? Uh, Justice Scalia is saying, whoever butters your bread, and I know that men in private practice of law, there aren't many. And the ones that are there aren't making much money unless they're working for a corporation. That's why there are so few of them. Because the government has found out how to strip people of all income before they prosecute them for a crime. (laughs) Then they can't hire a lawyer. I mean, they've got it, Roger. They've got it down to a science. I know, I know. You better have some money hidden, my friend, that the government can't just swipe before they prosecute you. Because they'll come charging in and cut off all your licenses that enable you to make a living. You may have a roofer's license, a barber's license, a chiropractor's license, a dentist's license, whatever license you've got. They'll cut that off. They'll go to the unions, which are controlled by the government. The largest union unions in the country now are not the AFL-CIO. They are the union of government workers. And they'll cut you off from right. that. And then they'll send you to to hell on a shingle in a handbasket because you can't hire legal counsel. Then they'll appoint legal counsel that works for the judge and enjoy whatever money they have at the behest and the kindness of the judge in the case. And he's a judge that used to be a federal prosecutor or a U.S. attorney. Where are his leanings going to be? That's what you're facing out there now. 
That's the facts of the matter. That's not my opinion. No, no, that's just the facts of the matter. Of the matter. Uh, there are many lawyers that will tell you that. It's hard to get a hearing. A lot harder than it was. It's fair. That's the process. More than so than yesterday. Roger, we're down in three minutes. We're down less than that, probably. Uh, I'm just going to throw in a guy I really like that's a judge that's now a politician. is from Texas, Louis Gomert. Did you know he was uh-huh. a judge? Uh-huh. No. Yeah. No. Um, that's the, that is a major problem. It's contrary to our common law tradition that lawyers from government employment would become judges. That used to be the unwritten custom that wasn't done. Well, this is Brent Allen Winters, Roger. I want to mention. Well, yeah, this. good. Here's the whistler. So we're Go to the website. You can listen to us. And Roger and I, on Sundays, we hold church. We're going through the book of Genesis. Uh, join us uh, uh, at Patriot Soapbox. You can find out the links to do that at commonlayer.com. And then uh, Roger, uh, after church, in church on Sundays, Roger and Thumper come on. And then also on Saturdays, I'm on Patriot Soapbox. Uh, you can get the times there. That's also in the morning. And then Roger's show. You can also get the common lawyer uh, translates and annotates the Bible from the original tongues. I call it uh, the good book uncooked. You can see how to obtain that there at commonlawyer.com. Over 15,000 footnotes and uh, 150 appendices tracing uh, themes through the warp and the woof of the text of the context of that collection of writings we call the Bible, a raw translation, don't want to cook the book. And then the comparative law text, uh, 958 pages, comparing and contrasting the law of the land with the law of the city, our common law with the civil law, due process with outcome-driven law, outcome-standard-driven law of uh, the rest of the world. You can find that there and a whole lot of other little books and things you can get there. But we look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, Roger and I do, and uh, at the same time, same station, Lord willing, and you can join us at those other times and take advantage of those resources. And Roger has a website as well. I got a couple of them these days. (laughs) You can can obtain his book on his website. That's, That's correct. That's and the true. name of his website is Roger. Give us the act. Well, so a uh, sovereign to surf.com is the one that I've had for a while.